Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello. Hello, Joe Devine. JJ Ball the Bullard. Yes, hello. And Jonathan Rostog McKenzie. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah? Mm. That's lovely that you're speaking so quietly. Oh. oh, we didn't sound check. Are we fine? We're all fine. Look at that. A little uh, look behind the curtain there at how we aren't good. Now, <laughs> lots to discuss today. Um, Morocco, of course, played France. Morocco now out of the World Cup. All a bit of a shame, really. Uh, but we'll go on to discuss their contribution to the tournament. And as France move on to the final to meet Argentina, we'll have a little look ahead to that as well. Uh, also, we're going to play three different games today. Yes, all knowledge-based games uh, to see who has the best knowledge here. And won't it be fun to know who has the best knowledge do you think it's you, JJ? Well, as we know, to catch them is a real test. Yes. So we'll find that. To answer the questions is not my cause. No. And what about you, John? I don't have any aspirations as to my performance in the quiz. Well, if you feel like that at home, that you don't have any aspirations as to your performance in your daily life, let's say, then perhaps you'll find some inspirational material on The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where if you want to learn more about football, you sure as hell are going to do that, whether you like it or not, on theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of, uh, I guess, Hugo Lloris, who appears later in the podcast as we discuss it, not in real life. That would be fun. Mm. Ah, Morocco nil to France. Um, where else to start, Seb? But uh, with why you said France are doing a bit of a Real Madrid thing towards the end of this game. What did you mean by that? Yes, yeah, so it's a half-baked theory, Joe, in the sense that Real Madrid are kind of, ever since they sort of they, they, they came off their um, succession of European Cup winners, feels like they are perpetually underrated in European football. And yet they manage to be whatever they need to be in knockout games in the latter stage of the Champions League. So this season, obviously, against Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City and and Liverpool, um, last season even, sorry, um, you kind of, you never really discuss them in tactical terms. You don't talk about what they are shape-wise and um, don't really always talk about them in kind of one-on-one matchups. You just, they, they're able within these sort of short 10 to 15 minute periods um, to win games, to dominate yeah. little periods and um, invoke a little bit of chaos. And France aren't exactly like that. It's just that they're not really a protagonist in the sense that all the way through this World Cup, probably against England, definitely against uh, again tonight against Morocco, they weren't the dominant side. They weren't uh, overpowering their opposition. They just dominated in the crucial moments. Mm. Um, and dominated is probably the wrong word. Uh, one in they were the effective crucial moments. Crucial. They were effective and efficient. And, you know, I think it's yeah. interesting because they played England. Yeah. And obviously, uh, living in England and having this conversation in England, it's impossible to avoid the 
narrative mm. around the England Where are you team. going with this? What I'm talking about... <laughs> We're going to talk about England. No, not yeah. at all. What I'm going to say is that, um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about Gareth Southgate and, yeah. um, you know, uh, I think for want of a better term, negative tactics. Yes, right? yes. Um, but it's uh, best remembered, as we said on the on the show after the England-France game a few days ago, that that's something that I think has been partly inspired by uh, some of the work that the, the French team have done. So I think you get to the latter stages of a World Cup and you see France kind of you know, effectively or efficiently making their way towards a final. And you do sort of feel a little bit underwhelmed is maybe too strong of a term for it, but you kind of want to see them blow away a team, don't you? You do, because the, the kind of collective power of their talent makes you want to give their, them their, their football a kind of aspirational quality. You want to see what they look like in top gear. At the same time, though, uh, progressing through the latter stages of the World Cup is in the modern day because of the volume of football that all players have to experience and go through. It's about surviving and it's about dealing with different threats and different opposition, different challenges and getting through round by round. And probably no one typifies that better than Deschamps France because if you look back at their World Cup history between this tournament and last, it's never, it never really sets the world light. You never, that kind of potential of all that talent combined is only ever teased. It's never truly realized. And yet, what you're left with is these little uh, little moments, like a, a flash from an Mbappe or mm. an inspirational moment from um, an Olivier Giroud. Or um, I suppose the closest we've got to the kind of sustained performance this tournament from um, you know French players probably Antoine Griezmann. Yeah. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later in more depth. Well, tell you what, let's do it now. Okay, why not? Okay. Nice segue um, because JJ, you wanted to talk about Antoine Griezmann and his role within the team. Now's your opportunity. Yes. Well, uh, Griezmann, you think of as being a really creative forward who has been uh, really important for teams at Atletico Madrid in the past. He was at Barcelona for a while, but I think even he's forgotten that. Yeah, I think of him as only being able to play for 30 minutes due to... Well, because of that transfer thing, yeah. (laughs) So for this team, he does... He is a forward. He helps with the first line of the first line of engagement, showing where the ball goes. But France are quite passive in the first line. Let the ball come past them. They drop deep a little bit because they want to be able to exploit the space that people will leave when they push up. But as you saw today, he was everywhere all the time, just like nipping in and out of spaces to be able to both win the ball back as part of a midfield three, but then also help link things in the the last part of the pitch. Because what you have is Mbappe comes in from the left, wide left, into more of a half space in the middle. And then when they get into the final third, he's more through the middle, like a like an actual central striker. And Dembele pulls off more to the right as a other winger. So there's a bit of space between Giroud, the striker, and Dembele, the um, the right winger. So he often floats into that little bit. But he just goes everywhere where the ball is. Often mm. when Morocco were pushing forward, he was the one that was back and the ball would drop exactly where he is. He just, it's a, I think it's a clever reading of the game combined with excellent technical qualities. Yeah. It's a, one of the things like, like Didier Deschamps was never the best player. Like he was really important to how France play. He was, when he played, he was like a water carrier. Yeah. That's why he, that was his best thing. And, and there's a book called The Captain Class and he talked about Didier Deschamps and how important he was to that team in 98 when they won the World Cup. Like never the best player, surrounded by really good players but made all the rest of them around him better. And Griezmann is kind of doing that water carrier role for France in this tournament but as a really technically clever yeah. player as well out of the pitch. So it just makes him even better than he has been. It's do quite interesting it, though, isn't it? I was, so, no, I was, I was just going to ask actually because do you think it, it changes the way that you approach the game mentally? Because if you're playing an attacking role, you can kind of drift in and out of the game and you can kind of pick your moments. If you play in the role that Griezmann's um, uh, occupied during this World Cup, 
you can never let your concentration waver. Like there was a moment in the second half where he, he was the first to a dropping ball in his own penalty box, 12 yards out. Um, and if he doesn't make that interception, there's a, there's a chance for a shot on goal. Like it's 90 minutes worth of concentration. It'd be, be interesting to know what it's like to kind of condition yourself to move between like the club version of Antoine Griezmann and the one that we've seen here. It's very yeah. different. I think good players just adapt to it. I guess so. Like yeah. you see Mbappe, like he wants to be the very best, like no one ever was, right? And so he's trying to do all different things that he was doing in the past. So he's now playing like more of a all-round forward as opposed to just a goal scorer. In the past, he was Griezmann- a bit chancy in today's game, though. How do you mean, Chansey? <laughs> it's a Pokemon. I don't know. I'm just trying to throw oh, a little pun in there. No, no, no. What do you mean? Nothing. No, I don't, I don't mean anything. I yeah. don't know about it. Yeah. So Mbappe's trying to do far more than he has done in the past. Yeah. Um, I thought he was a real Geo dude in today's game. No, 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 no. 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 Like, so like, Mbappe knows the power that's inside. Whereas Griezmann... <laughs> whereas Griezmann is trying to adapt to the team that he's in. And I think like where Griezmann in the past has been a star and been like the had been the focal point of a Atletico Madrid team, he is very much filling in the gaps for other players in this one. I think it just makes it's better for the team. So you're more likely to win and more likely to look like a better player. Yeah. If you're doing those things. Well, I was going to say, you know, we've talked about Antoine Griezmann a little bit already. Further to your point before, Seb, and I address this to you now, John. Um, it's easy for us to identify Antoine Griezmann had fabulous performances for this France team. Hugo Lloris is a player who's had a couple of really, really good performances for this team. Mbappe has scored five goals. Olivier Giroud, I mean, is now France's all-time top goal scorer. And I think, you know, with discussion around if Benzema had been available for, for selection, that Giroud may not have even played. It's kind of easy to see, despite them never really blowing anybody away, why they are where they are. Because like, their key players have really shone in the moments that this mattered. I think there's two things I'd say about this. First one is that like, I think Griezmann's most important role has been out of possession because we've talked a lot about Mbappe not wanting to involve himself so much in, in the out of possession side of things. So France playing a 4-2-3-1, usually in these sorts of situations, if you're going to press into a, a if you're going to move into a 4-4-2 mid-block, which, you know, France do, you would have your two wide players dropping in. So you'd have Mbappe dropping in closer to Teo Hernandez, Dembele dropping closer to Koundé, and then you'd have Griezmann, the, the 10, pushing up alongside the striker, and then you've got your 4 4 2. Obviously, Deschamps recognizes that Mbappe isn't going to be willing to do that kind of backtracking. And so, what actually happens is that Mbappe comes up alongside Giroud and so forms the, the, the second part of that, of that forward press. And it's Griezmann who drops in alongside the rest of the midfield. And they form the 4 4 2 that way. And I think. That is the big difference between France this time around versus last time around is that they now have this structure which actually mitigates some of the, the stuff that, the, mm. um, that, that Mbappe is doing. But you couldn't do that without a player like Griezmann. Um, and there's very, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a very limited market for players who are both creative but also physically, um, physically adept enough to be able to play that kind of role as well. Yeah. So I think that. That's like a lot of what France do well is based around that defensive structure. I was going to say that the physical part is really important, I think, because Mbappe, like, obviously he's brilliant with the ball. Technically, he's one of the best, well, he's one of the best players in the world, right? He's, he's incredible. But, uh, like, it is, is some of the physical things he can do, like, run faster than any creature in the world. Like, you saw at the end, he just absolutely bodied people by just, just racing away from them. And uh, it's important, maybe, to not say that it's Mbappe not wanting to do defensive work. It might be that he's learn to or has been encouraged to not do as much disciplined defending in certain situations because he he helps the team defend in another way by being in a more dangerous position ready mm. to pounce rather than coming back it might be that it, seem, it seems to, to be it, something which links a lot of the best players in the world 
that they don't really do anything off the ball. Uh, so I'm, and I wonder, you know, if that is because coaches think, look, let's emphasize all of the when the you best maximize their performance, their, their effect with the ball. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like if you're over a certain age, you're conditioned to think about this in terms of like, you know, the old school number ten, the, the playmaker who did nothing, just strolled mm-hmm. around the pitch. Whereas I think now it's a tactic by design because you don't want to tie up your your game winning forward wide forward inside forward whatever, yeah. whatever the case in like work in his own you know defensive zone that's a bit like you and your job here at tifo isn't it we don't want to tie you up with you know having to live in the correct no, country come in or and, to and, 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 and do, spell things correctly or anything or even really do most of do your all job. the flavors. we want to emphasize you on the podcast uh you know come lending once your a day knowledge once a day and say yeah. something really really funny and then leave yeah yeah you're doing you know what you're doing a fantastic job and i'm glad that there are other people here i am pulling the kind the of the mbappe everybody else is the water carrier that's right yeah, yeah everyone yes, yes. Yeah. yeah i don't mind that yeah works for me yeah okay well listen let's carry on talking about mbappe now because you wanted seb to talk about mbappe for france versus a sort of psg mbappe you know we have yeah. this sometimes with with players that that perform slightly differently not necessarily better or worse but in a different capacity for for club and country what are your thoughts as that relates to mbappe specifically well over the last sort of two tournaments over the last two world cups sorry for france I think what we've seen is Mbappe inject himself into the play at critical moments and to tremendous effect. Obviously, tonight he's crucial for the second goal. Um, scored uh, a brilliant goal in the last final. Has been um, actually pretty good, but not in a sort of an overwhelming way for France. Like, he was pretty quiet against England. Um, the goal he scored against, uh, the first goal he scored against Poland was, I think, will end up being one of the goals of the tournament. And yet it came in a match where he wasn't necessarily the most prominent French player. Whereas for PSG, um, particularly before um, uh, Gautier got there this season, um, what you'd see sometimes is he was almost used as a as a means of uh, of transferring PSG up the pitch. So you'd see him get the ball 25 yards from his own goal and not quite run in a straight line, but basically just carry it as quickly and as vertically as possible um, in a way that kind of destroyed the opposition. And it was this sort of this idea that... Um, in Ligue 1, he could be a, a sort of almost a playground bully type yeah. of player. Kind and of it's not meant a to... great American footballer. Well, yeah, like it, it almost he had a kind of um, not quite running back quality, but he would be. Uh, that was sometimes it seemed to be the extent of their game plan. Whereas the um, the Mbappe he plays for France is a a more sparingly used player, potentially more explosive. Um, it's a little bit to do with obviously the standard of Ligue 1 and the kind of the the. the uh, level of challenge that PSG face on a week-to-week basis, but there is a difference, and it's kind of um, it's kind of interesting to see all these different versions. There's no mm-hmm. sort of uh, definitive what's better. It's just a um, yeah, it's interesting to see that adaption. I mean, it's not quite as dramatic as the one that Griezmann's gone through, obviously, mm. um, but it's interesting to note that there is a variation to his game, and there is a an ability to play more than a, a single role. Um, whilst we're sort of having a go at him not doing any defending because that's you know that felt a bit mean spirited. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, listen. Also, you guys were talking before about why you think the World Cup is a bit broken. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, it's because France keep winning it now. They yeah. won it last time. You, you shouldn't be able to win it two times in a row. It should only be a new team every time. That's what you believe. Yeah, it's a bit like how at school everyone sported Man United because they always used to win stuff. Right. And now France are basically to have all the best players. And they just have, have you noticed that all the people at your through. school have started to support France? Is they that do, what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, they all started speaking French because I am still at school. Right, yeah. yeah. But it's good that you're still there, though. But there's something about it, like, like genuinely, 
it's not it would be great for people in France because they all support France mm. so I'm sure they'd be very very happy and they can enjoy it more because they know more what it's like to have won the World Cup already so then they can expect like you know celebrate it properly this time if they were to win it mm. still got to get past Leo Messi by the way yeah uh, but you kind of want to be a bit of separation between World Cups 1998 felt like it was a couple of years ago even and they won that yeah when in fact it was many years ago it was longer when they were in the final 24 well. years mm. ago yeah. At the same time, do you, do you not think that um, that some of the stories, some of the, the purely footballing stories from within the World Cup have actually been really good for the game? And so it's like Morocco being in a World Cup semi-final and playing really, really well. Like mm-hmm. they, that was not a comfortable 2 Like I think for long periods of the game, Morocco were the better side, the more dangerous side. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Saudi Arabia in the group against Argentina um, saw some of the things that... Um, uh, Australia did earlier Japan on Japan and South Korea getting Japan, really far South Korea like Croatia knocking out Brazil well, I should say Japan getting as far as they usually do as as well yeah but out. in different circumstances I mean mm-hmm. you wouldn't usually expect them to knock Germany well not knock Germany out but beat them in the first game and set them on a course for elimination yeah and it feels like uh, with club football being the way that it is and kind of some of the financial disparities and the game as a whole in Europe becoming a bit more predictable mm-hmm. um, and increasingly so over the years. It's nice to see this. It's nice to see trends being broken and Morocco becoming the first African side to reach the semifinals, for instance. And these for things sure. which aren't just... JJ's kind of right about the way that France progressed the, the, the tournament. Completely agree with that. It's just that alongside that, you do still have a little moments which enliven your interest in the game or awaken yeah. them. Reawaken them, perhaps. There was a nice little paragraph in um, Jacob uh, Whitehead's piece on The Athletic about Morocco that I read today, uh, where he said, obviously, as you just mentioned, Morocco, the first African team in a semi-final. They're the second uh, Muslim-majority nation in a semi-final after Turkey in Mm -hmm. 2002. Um, And also they're the the first um, Arab team in in the semi-finals as well. And it, it concluded by saying that, you know, the identity of Morocco now hotly contested, but for fun reasons, which is quite nice. John... From a footballing perspective, you know, specifically footballing perspective, how would you rate the tournament so far? I mean, there's been quite a fair amount of upsets, haven't there? And obviously, that's a subjective question, but what does what your subjectivity bring to it? You will say that I focus on like the out-of-possession stuff, and so in many respects, I've quite enjoyed the tournament because mm. there's been a few things that have been happening out-of-possession. Namely, I think, and most importantly, that the smaller sides are much better. Uh, out of possession and that's led to I think a little bit more competitiveness across the board Um, whether or not that makes for a better tournament in general I guess most people would argue with because I think a lot of people don't really care about the out of possession stuff they want to see goals and they want to see like exciting attacking players as well but um, yeah I think the in in, in general the, the the tournament has been has been high on drama maybe more than it has been on particularly tactical things but that's just the nature of international football, right? Um, mm. There's only so much you can do in, in possession um, with, with, without a huge amount of time on your hands to prep. I keep thinking uh, Spain-Germany was the best game in the group stages. It was the only one that... Maybe the best Maybe best game is the wrong way of phrasing that, but it was the highest most, quality game. Yeah, like the most like elite football, but yeah. that shouldn't be that surprising, I guess, because all of those players are playing sort of fairly standard elite football. yeah week in week out and so well, do you, was, i mean do you think that france uh, argentina will be like that uh, i don't think so no because i think that france play a fairly small c conservative um uh, they, they adopt that sort of small c conservative approach i think argentina i think people may be surprised by argentina in this game um i, I re-watched the game uh, against croatia this morning and i was really impressed with how they approached 
that game. They they did certain things that caused Croatia a lot of problems, and not many teams have done that really this this tournament. Right, we've gone through the whole tournament with people being like, well, you know, that that thing happens when. I mean, I questioned whether or not Croatia had been a little bit lucky with their run, um, but there's a there's a weird phenomenon when like teams get lucky a lot of times to a point where people say, well, they can't be lucky. It must be there must be yeah. something behind it, rather than what you could also argue, which is just they've been really lucky. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to pontificate about that, but you could. I think you can argue the same sort of thing for France. They have like a fairly conservative approach, and it's worked so far. They haven't given up huge amounts of chances. Um, and they've generated enough chances to win. But I also think that that Argentina are playing a much more um, proactive way of playing. They've got Messi. They know that he's a strength and they'll try and get him into the game the best way possible. And I think that the, the way that they did that against Croatia actually might suit them quite nicely for the France game as well. So I, I do think that, that it will be an interesting game, but it's not. neither of those two teams are trying to do what elite sides are trying to do, which is no. control the game in every phase of possession have have caveats in place for if you lose the ball high up the field being to be able to count to to, to defend counterattacks. like france are not, france are not pushing their fullbacks down the field uh that much um argentina are a little bit more but uh yeah that argentina also aren't sort of doing that positional thing where you spread everyone out across the field and try and get you know um, exploit space between all of the other fullbacks they're a lot more centrally um uh, focused i think as well so i don't think it will be like watching a Champions League game uh, but I do think it will be a, a good game all the same mm, okay well we'll come back and discuss that game a little bit more um, let's have a break now though and when we come back we'll play a game this episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the National League Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ah, yes, what a lovely break that was. Now it's time to play a delightful game, everyone. Now this game is the World Cup. World World Cup goal scorers game, the World Cup top goal scorers game. Yeah, excited about that. Ready for that? Mm. Just change what's on my screen so I can't see the scorers. Yeah. Now listen, the game here is as follows. Nobody look at their chat because people in the chat will tell you what the answers are. Change my window. Okay. We want to guess players that have scored ten or more goals in all World Cups. Yes. Okay. Go. Miroslav Closer. Yes, Miroslav Closer with 16 goals scored. He's currently the top. Messi. Uh, uh, Messi has scored 11 goals. Yes, that's correct. Jürgen Klinsmann. Jürgen Klinsmann has also scored 11 goals. 
Who else we got? Mbappe must be in there after this tournament. Mbappe uh, may well be in there, but he's not in the Wikipedia page, which may not have been updated yet. Although it would have been, because he didn't score today, did he? He didn't. No, so he's not in there yet, no. Oh, Mbappe's on nine goals. Gabriel Batistuta has ten goals for Argentina. Jean-Pierre Papin. Uh, No. Palarossi. Uh, this game is Gerd Muller must be in there because he scored there. loads of goals yeah. Pele uh, Pe- Pele is 100% in there Pele scored Maradona. 12 goals uh, Maradona is not in here Gerd Muller is in there though Gerd Muller for West Germany scored 14 goals and I'll tell you the rest you've all played very well good game original well played Ronaldo original Ronaldo is in second place of course with 15 goals for Brazil we have Just Fontaine for France, who scored, I think, was, has the record for the he most, most he goals in a single tournament. He yes, had the record 13, as well until Close overtook him or something. Was that right? Maybe. Know, maybe I'm not sure. I think it was an awful lot. I don't know if that one's been overtaken yet, has it? Uh, Close the, the, the. Oh, you mean of the overall? Yeah, yeah. That's closer now, I think. Ronaldo, original Ronaldo has more. Than 16? No, he's got 15. Just Fontaine has 13. Pele with 12. We have Sandor. Kocsis, I can't say the name, the Hungary, the Hungarian player. I have learned that name once before to say it in a I video. think your pronunciation was okay. Uh, Kocsis? I think so. Not yeah. sure. Uh, who else do we have here? We have Helmut Rahn from West Germany. Oh. Gary Lineker with 10 goals for England. We said uh, Batistuta. Uh, Kubeas for uh, Peru. Thomas Müller for Germany has 10. There we go. And um, uh, Lato for Poland. If you go to the German Football Museum in Dortmund, you can see the uh, the ball that uh, Helmut Rahn scored. His very, very famous goal oh, with yes. Miracle Burn. Yeah. yeah, lovely name in there. Helmut yep. Rahn. Okay, fine. Now, listen, let's talk a little bit about Morocco, who uh, were, you know, one of the favourites here at TFL. Let's, let's be honest, for the last uh, the last few games there. The hope that they would go all the way was there with us as we watched. They didn't. Um, but anyway, I want to talk about uh, their out-of-possession play, John. And naturally, I'm going to come to you to do that. Uh, but first, let me tell you that in this book, this book which is hiding my drink, <laughs> <laughs> this book that you see here in front of you or, or are listening to, How to Watch Football, 52 Rules for Understanding the Beautiful Game on and off the pitch. Now, chapter one of this book, John McKenzie, I know you've read it back to front, cover to cover. Chapter one is, is of course... Don't watch the ball. And what does that what does that mean to people? Well, I think that when you're watching as a fan, you tend to focus on the ball because that's where the action is, right? Um, and when I'm usually watching a game as a fan, I'm watching around the ball and, and focusing on that. But yes, redefine your understanding of what and where the action is. Now, you yeah. were saying before that you thought that people don't enjoy off the ball stuff, but we do. And <laughs> once you've read this chapter and listened to John speak, you will. Now, listen, this book is available online. And is also available in your local Waterstones or indeed your local international bookstore, wherever you live. Not wherever, but in many places. You know, if you can't find your it. local online retailer. Many apologies. But uh, it is available in many, in many areas. So if you're looking for a last minute Christmas gift for uh, someone who needs to learn how to watch football, you know. Or just you think they will enjoy it and you're friends with them. Do consider. But John... Go on to explain to me why chapter one of this book is so important. And let's link it to Morocco's performance so that we can really plug the product. <laughs> well, I thought that, um, I thought that Morocco are an interesting side because they, they, they did play in a, in, a, in a low block. But I think when a lot of people say low block, they just sort of think it's just one size fits all thing. 
and that you know there's you don't have a concept of a good low block or a bad low block uh, but actually i thought that morocco's approach was just really top notch all the way through the tournament mm. they defended deep well they expanded really well they moved between those two situations what, quite what do you mean by expanded yeah so they transitioned so they they had um, a, a bunch of really exciting wide players who they could they could use um, when they won the ball back in certain situations to then try and hit the opposition when when the opposition left space for for them to exploit um, so obviously they had Ziyech on one side and then uh, Buffal on the other uh, and then they had in the series um, a sort of classic number nine as well. So the idea is that you sit deep, pick pick the ball up um, when 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 you do, but then try and use uh, a quick transition. So really direct attacking to get the ball into dangerous areas to score. But most of the tournament they've been actually playing with a back four rather than a back five, which is how they came out uh, tonight. So usually they had Amala in here alongside. Um, Unahi and let's just get rid of one of these in central midfield in central midfield yeah so we've got Amrabat as the pivot player here two eights and then a front three in front of them um, and the the general idea was is that they're going to sit in a, a low block and they were going to protect the wide areas in particular so the back four were quite narrow uh, and the two wide players did a huge amount of defensive work so we talked about how Mbappe doesn't do that uh, but both Ziyech and Buffal were happy to drop in uh, alongside the, the, the midfield to, to help out. Now, usually when you're co coming up against a back four, when the, the ball comes out to, let's say, a fullback, it will be the wide players who push up. Um, but the problem when you do that is that you actually allow a lot of space in this kind of area that can be then exploited by by opposition players. And that area is between the winger and their fullback. Yeah, so, it, so yeah, the, the area between the winger and the fullback. And the problem with that is that you can then allow dangerous attacking players to get isolated uh, 1v1 against fullbacks mm. and when you've got players like Mbappe and Dembele that's that's not a good thing no. um, so what actually we've seen from from um, Morocco is that rather than pushing their their wide players out in the press they push their number eights out instead mm. um, and so we've got Amalo on one side Unahi on the other and they'll be the ones who press up, press up onto the fullback and what that means is is that you're allowing there to be coverage in in the fullback area, that double coverage of, of players. Now, that was all well and good until they played a back three today. So they had Amala not on and Dari in instead. Now what's happened is that if you're going to press out with your with your number eight onto the fullback, you're leaving a huge amount of space in the central area here now. You're wide open. Yeah, and for the first goal, what we saw was Griezmann get the ball um, to feet. The centre-back feeling the need to be quite aggressive, pushing forward onto him, him rolling, getting around him, and then carrying the ball into the box. And then the, the ball obviously broke down a little bit there, but that was the situation mm. that led to the first goal. And after that point, Morocco switched up then around the 20-minute mark, I think, where they then went back to playing the 4-1-4-1 that they were playing before, and it just gave them a lot more defensive stability. So, Why do you think they would have made the change? If they were capable of playing a four and it wasn't due to injuries or, or, or you know absentee players, then what was the issue? I'm, I mean, I would throw this over to, to JJ, but like my, my gut is that they wanted to get Saïs in, um, into the team as well as... Uh, I, I think... Aguered, the, the West Ham centre-back, was also possibly available. So they probably prepped, thinking they could get most of their back players in, their, their best back players in. Mm. Um, Aguered pulls out in the warm-up. And I think they probably, at that point, they, they probably thought we could go 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one here, uh, but we've prepped all week with a back five. So let's just see how it goes. They've conceded the goal. And then very soon after that, I mean, Saïs is obviously 
carrying an injury anyway mm. um and and they flipped it around but I, i'm not entirely sure why they made that to me it doesn't make sense because what was so great about them was that they were able to press out with their rates with amrabat doing really good positional defensive work in the space behind mm. and that was what made them so dangerous because they were sitting in a low block but they were really aggressive in that low block um and i think they were relying on their center backs to step forward but when you do that against a team like france and they've got players like griezmann and mbappe and even Giroud to an extent they are, they're always going to be able to play those those small advantages mm, what do you think about that jj thanks john so i think what we've got here is that they uh, probably made the change because amala who's been playing in midfield alongside unahi and amrabat I think he was probably carrying an injury, injury or was really tired Yeah, because they subbed him off late in the game as well. So it kind of points towards that being the reason. That said, when you look at the team and how France are going to line up, there are tactical reasons why they would have done what they've done and switched to the back three. I think John's dead on with the, the centre-backs following players out because he knows Giroud's going to be a handful in the middle. So if you have three defenders surrounding him, it's going to be very useful. 3v1 is good. But Mbappe basically makes that 3v2. So then what you've got is coverage. So you've got um, Saiz or Dari, I can't remember who's on the right side, next to Mbappe, but also coverage from Hakimi, you can tuck in if you need. And then you get Ziyech coming back to double up in wide areas when Teo Hernandez overlaps, which he always does. So you know that Teo Hernandez will be on the far left, Mbappe will be in the central spaces, then you can squish him in, surround them with defenders, and then Griezmann will come along as well. So basically you then get like 1v1v1 across the back line of three central Moroccan defenders against three France forwards. Then Dembele on the right is more wide, he plays a bit closer to the touchline. So then you've got your left wing back can double up with Buffal to take care of him. So that, in theory, should lock them down and force them to try and push up a little bit. And if they pushed up, then you're going to leave a bit of a space further up the pitch. So you could, if you're lucky, break behind Dembele with Buffal, break behind Kanate with Ziyech, and uh, and we can maybe get in as well. And I think that might have been part of the thinking. Mm. But a lot of these things, like a lot of tactics, people say managers are geniuses or they're idiots for doing what they're doing, but it's to do with... Players are just, are ill, or they're injured, or they're just they're just not on it on the day. Like you can see, they're crumbling under pressure, or something like that. I'm sure this stuff happens. And to me, it looked like Amala, who uh, I'd imagine would have started because he was so important for them all the way through the tournament. He was one of the, the eights that helped the press. He was the one that was mostly going to join the, the forward and part of the press uh, from the midfield. And it's uh, uh, just too many injuries and things. If, like Morocco were missing there all their best players and that was the big thing like we were talking earlier about France basically being Real Madrid or United in the 90s or something they just have so many good players whereas mm. Morocco need those ones that they rely on and that's probably why that was good analysis on both counts wasn't it Seb really nice really I nice. really enjoyed that and do you know what if you listening or watching at home think I want to sound like that how to watch football yeah yeah 52 chapters to help you sound like JJ Bull and John McKenzie. We should have written that as a subtitle. Also, you know, subscribe to The Athletic. That will help as well. No, no, no. no. Come now. Well, Get the that. book first. Book first. Book Athletic first. second, but do both. Definitely, you know. you know. Get the book. Let's have a... Uh, oh, one more game before a break. It's, a t- it's time for another game. The last game didn't work that well. But let's do another one. Because, you know, it's written down here. Now, this game is uh, all based around the idea that, that uh, Hugo Lloris said, mm. has 144 caps for France. Yes, 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 yes. Which is the, I thought you were going to say, is the most in the history of the France team. It is. He broke the record against England, actually. He mm. beat Lillian Thuram's record in that game. Very interesting. Yeah. So I thought we could do a two-part game here. Oh, interesting. The first of those is to try to guess uh, some names from the list of players who have the most international caps ever. Mm. Okay. And now, listen, many of them are, are rather obscure. Okay. So don't worry about getting them all. Right. But would you like to try to guess someone? 
I will start with Rafael Marquez. Uh, yes, this game's hard. Rafael <laughs> Marquez. Well, how do you, you Marquez with a Q? Uh, with a Q and a Z. Oh, Rafael yes. Marquez. Yes, he has 148 yeah. uh, caps for uh, Mexico, but I can tell you he's only joint 41st on the list. I would say Ike the top Casillas 10. will be on there somewhere. Uh, who? Ike Casillas. Yes. He'll be there. Um, no. No? Yes. He's joint 18th <laughs> with 167. Very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> who else Who else do you want to guess? I will have a go at, I think Sergio Ramos will be on Sergio there. Sergio Ramos is 8th with 180. Yeah. 180 caps. Absolutely absolutely international caps, all teams. He did we not play in 180 Buffon World Cups. Uh, Buffon, let's have a look and see if Buffon is on the list. Buffon is on the list. He's joint 11th with 176. So Sergio Ramos currently the highest played. Now, 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 before you keep going... Unless you were going to add something interesting, or you're going to pick another name. Another name. No, no, no. Now let's give John a little go here. The, the, the thing, the, the one to beat at the moment is Sergio Ramos in eighth place with 180. Now there's definitely one, at least one person on this list that you could name. Well, I'm thinking that Cristiano Ronaldo recently got the, the record for goals. So, and he beat Ali Dai. So Ali Dai must have played a lot of games. So I'm going to go with Ali Dai. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Cristiano Ronaldo. And if Ronaldo. you had done, Ronaldo. you would have won the game. <laughs> because Ronaldo is uh, joint first with 196. Is Ali Dai on there? That is ridiculous. Um, let me see if Ali Dai is on here. Uh, uh, yes, but in joint 41st with okay. 148. So he's pretty prolific then if he was... It uh, is pretty prolific, yeah. I have to admit, I don't know many of these players, um, but in joint first with Cristiano Ronaldo is uh, is, uh, is uh, Al Mutawa from uh, Kuwait, who also has 196, and Sochin An from Malaysia, who has 195 for some reason, but it seems to be joint first. I don't, I'm not sure I understand why. Um, but also, in, quite incredibly did that in a career that was only spanning 14 years as opposed to the other two joint first who were 18 and 19 years respectively. So that is a, an, an enormous number of caps. Also names that we might recognise, uh, Maynard Figueroa from Honduras, 175. Ah, Wigan. Maynard Figueroa. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, we also have on this list names, uh, oh, Hossam Hassan, of course, for Egypt with 170. Is Sebastian Larsson on that list? I haven't seen Larson on he this list. He will be playing for Sunil, Sweden Sunil Chetri is being, 20 years He's getting time. a lot of love in the chat. Which, uh, Diego Godin with 161 yeah. for Uruguay. Luka Modric, 161 also. Um, nice to see that there are some. Yes, Landon Donovan, the United States of America, 155. And Alexis Sanchez, 152 for Chile as well as Gary Medell. He also has 152. Mm -hmm. We're going to say a different country then. Oh, for Chile as well same. as... Also for Chile. It's the Gary Vatican Miguel. City. Yeah. yeah. Very exciting. I wonder who the first... Uh, uh, oh, well, indeed. Now, now, good that I wondered that, isn't it? Because the, the <laughs> next version of this game is the England team. Mm. And I, I'm sorry for uh, JJ, of course, to, uh, being a Scottish uh, supporter. And you, you too, John. But you both live here. And I wonder if you follow the team. Would you be able to, to guess for me some of the top, some of the top performers there for Bobby international Charlton. caps? Bobby Charlton is actually fairly, well, he's seventh on the list. Peter Shilton. Peter Shilton is top with 125 yeah, caps. So, uh, the most capped player ever. Zero goals, though. Huh? Beckham. Rubbish. Gerard, Lampard, Beckham. I think they're all Centurions. Well, uh, Gerard, uh, uh, Lampard, and Beckham. Yes, a third, fourth, and eighth, respectively. Adams. Adams? Mm, don't see. Shea Adams. 
Shay Adams. He's doing the Scottish Tyler team. Adams, actually. Uh, I will tell you that the second place, of course, with 53 goals, as Ashley well as Cole? 120 counts, is, is Rooney. Ashley Rooney! Cole is on the list here as well, yeah. And uh, other than that, we have Billy Wright hmm. with 105. And uh, that's it. That's all the ones over 100. Billy Wright! In- <laughs> if, you, if you get off the train in Wolverhampton, there's a pub that you come to called the Billy Wright. It's named after him. Very, very famous ex Wolves player. Right. Former England captain as well. Well, there we go. Yeah. There we go. And, uh, you know. Don't know why. I... Terry Butcher on 77. Right. Now, fine. That was our games. Fun, wasn't it? Did you enjoy that? It was fine. It's really fun. Yeah, that's good. It was um, fine. Yeah. yeah. Getting some low energy from you. I, I, I do feel quite tired. Yeah? Yeah. How can, what can we do to pep you up? I don't know. We were talking about this earlier. We were trying to... I think it's not showing him Adam Curtis films is the way to do it. No, 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 no. That it's wasn't the... That, that wasn't... Don't, how dare you disgrace the name? Hey, I you know aren't you... even worthy to say the name I'm not Curtis. saying they're not good. I'm saying for That Seb's... wasn't the thing that made you tired, was it? No, well, made I, you tired I had when a... you arrived here and then. I arrived here and, and, and then I, I, I had a little bit of a, a downturn and I've been... You had that pasta... I had that pasta. It was very nice, but I did have the pasta. Bit filling. And eh? I had that baked potato yesterday, and I feel a bit jaded. Yeah. Like well, now remember nearly that at the end of jaded the World Sancho, Cup. someone else with yeah. some uh, England, England caps. Now yeah. remember that um, maybe the T4 audience is different. Who could know? But most audiences like a little pep. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't. They don't enjoy to watch people in in privileged positions uh, complain. So, what do you think about giving? <laughs> What do you think about adding a little zing to that pep? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, all right. Okay, yeah? I can handle that. Give me a Rooney. Uh, no, no, no. Let me, me, let, me have some, let me have some goblin from JJ. A little goblin? Hello, sir. Do the arms. Do the arms. Do that myself. Come on. And from you. From you as well. Uh, I, I want to smirch the goblin. No, he's named after you. Listen, don't make John smirch the goblin. Come now. They're his people. Okay. Okay, fine. Now, listen, we're going to have a break. And when we come back, that may well have been the break. We don't know. But when we come back from the break, we're going to do a quick conversation about a Again, looking forward to the final. A little bit about scouting, and then we'll be done. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rooney! (laughs) Okay, well, there we go. Uh, We already heard from John McKenzie on looking ahead to the final there, France-Argentina. But a newly energised Seb Stafford-Bloor would love to lend his opinion to the chorus. I really like France. Yeah? I really like France. I think they're just going to be too strong. Just because I, like, really, last night was the first time I'd actually been impressed by Argentina. Yeah, okay. They were very impressive yesterday, though. Yeah, and also, I, I think... It's not to denigrate the performances of players like Julian Alvarez, who's been fantastic, and um, I thought Otamendi was very, very good last night too. But um, France don't have the same reliance on individual players. Like, it's not... If England kind of found this out to their cost, if Mbappe doesn't perform, they can still hurt you. You can can lock a player down. Um, 
in that French side and somebody else will emerge. And I kind of think that's been the story because they came into the tournament. Everybody's talking about how you cope with Mbappe, how you deal with Benzema before he got injured. And then all of these other sort of um, secondary performance, like members of their chorus emerged. Rabiot was great. Chouameni was, um, had a little bit of an iffy game tonight, but was a difference maker against England, scored mm-hmm. a brilliant goal. Uh, Griezmann we've covered, but rightly so, because he's been fantastic. So the threats are more diverse. It's more of a, playing France is a huge conundrum for anybody. And I don't know, there'll be moments throughout the tournament, I, I hope I'm not being harsh, but there'll be moments in the tournament when that Argentinian defence has looked ropey. Uh. And also, like, emotionally so. I remember when they when they conceded um, the third goal of the game against Argentina, against, no, that's that's not right, is it? When they conceded the third goal of the game against themselves? Yeah. That's probably not right. I think that's wrong. I think I meant Australia. That would be bad, yeah. though, if they did that. If they did that, their defence would be would rubbish be if they were conceding yeah. goals to themselves. Yeah. Um, you saw a little bit of fragility there. And... I don't know, the same against the Dutch. They were completely in control of that game. And the Dutch did little more than just throw on two massive blokes at the top of the formation yeah. and it rattled them. And, and I just think France will be a bit too good. Okay. Um, so, yes. Okay, interesting. I'm putting my cue back in the rack. Somebody else talk. There it is. Well, listen, I was going to say, we'll come back to hear what you think about the final after we've had this conversation about scouting because we'll roll it in to points about JJ Bull. But let's uh, stay with you for the beginning of this conversation about scouting. Now, why shouldn't one use the World Cup for scouting there, JJ Bull? Because, of course, you know, Morocco seemed like a, a sort of prime example of a group of players who, you know, maybe yesteryear would have earned big moves after a, a tournament like this. Uh, well, because sometimes players just perform better on this certain stage because it's their time to shine. Suddenly they get to be the best player within a, a worse group. So if you take, like, uh, Ziyech, for example, is an amazing for Morocco in this mm. tournament, but you put him into a team with other players who are just as good technically as he is, and uh, he suddenly doesn't stand out as much because everyone's at the same level. Like, there are players who have, you'll have no idea how good they are technically in the Premier League because they don't show that off or use that because the only technique they need is first-touch movement, like pass and move. And uh, you'll see, you often see like really good players shine in t- uh, leagues like La Liga or the Eredivisie. There's a little bit more time on the ball. They tend to have be maybe in a team that has more possession, and you're not getting quite so aggressive players coming at, at you. So you can shine out a little bit more. And Champions League a bit different. It's, the pace is a bit slower, so maybe those players do then stand out a bit more. I don't know really what I'm saying there, but uh, I think another thing with it is that sometimes players stand out in teams because the team spirit is such that everyone just adds a little bit to it and you can't mm. you can't take that from a different team and put it into yours it's just, i heard this one about communication as well uh, obviously you know like the the uh, usually all the players speak the same language and, and yeah. often speak the same language as the coach and so communication is, is a lot more straightforward maybe to an extent but when you're on a football pitch i mean at the depth of language i don't think needs to be particularly difficult you're mostly People pointing speak with their feet i wonder mm. where the culture's won like when you like when you're away with your international team at world cup like generally i mean you know, some some teams are, um, you know, more diverse and have a broader culture than others. But like generally, there are more common reference points. I think it's easier for, for certain players. Also, if you if you watch a player at World Cup, you're watching them for at most about a month and probably at, at best seven games. You're not seeing like how they cope with an eight month season. You're not seeing like yeah. how they deal with life outside of the bubble of a squad. So during the World Cup, they will live together. They will generally have these sort of campuses and uh, resorts that they they train in. You know, 
during the regular season, you've got players living by themselves. They're living in, generally speaking, bigger and, cities. And what's the motivation as well? Like, you know it's what hard. it is in the World Cup because yeah, it's, it's to try it's and win the highlight of your career. Month. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's legacy affirming and it's kind of the high point of a, of a player's um, 12 to 14 year career in a way that, like, club football just isn't. Um, mm. and it's, Conversely, uh, though, like, if, they, if a player who you've been scouting for a long time does suddenly, we talked about this before, if a player does then stand out a little bit, uh, it's a really good like scouting ground to be able to affirm or like just uh, 100% know that that player can probably perform at a higher level so you can take them in. And, and, and then a counterpoint to that would be, say a player scores a hat-trick against, I don't know, some absolute like nonsense defence, then that's not really maybe a sign that they are really good, but they're in the right place at the right time. So I think you, there's lots you can gain from scouting players in the World Cup, but no, like no one would possibly take them off the back of one good tournament, I wouldn't have thought. It's, it's interesting, though, because this is kind of a, a recent phenomenon. Like, I think we all accept that it's not a good idea to buy players off tournaments anymore. But then, like, you go back to 2002, um, and, I mean, I, I know they waited a little bit afterwards, but it's the reason why Man United signed, signed Cleverson, because he was kind of so important to that Brazilian side. Well, 96, um, I remember they signed Karol Poborski. And, and Jordi Cruyff. Cruyff. And, and like yeah. Ferguson came out afterwards and said, oh, I'll never do that again. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because also... Like you have a player that's potentially a bit more comfortable. Like then, but you know, if um, we've just been talking about players who've won hundreds of caps at international level, and like I think at that level, particularly players in, for instance, Poborski's situation, there's a bit more permanence about your spot in the international team. You're not as vulnerable to kind of um, peaks and fluctuations in form as as a club footballer might be, and so you have a little bit more. I don't know, just a bit more uh, familiarity with your role, possibly. It's all kinds of things that distort the reality that we, we see during a tournament, basically. I would say there are individual players, who, to give a point of who stand out, stand out, oh my God, who has actually stood out at the World Cup and yeah. whose definitely profile has been risen and could then get a move. I think Amrabat's probably one of them. It's an obvious yeah. one. Guardiola people will go, I knew he was good. This kind of confirms it for me. I can see that he'll be able to move on. Uh, Gakpo you could argue we won I think Gonzalo Ramos's performance in that hat trick is one of those performances where you go I, he's definitely got that in him he's going to reach the level that I think he could and that's where he'd probably go and now he, I would say is, um, he's at Angers I hadn't heard of him before this tournament he's just been sensational uh, to me he's also he's a classic example of somebody that everybody falls in love with and a club that don't quite have the most refined um, processes spend a lot of money on like just instinctively because yeah. You know, there's a prestige to it, JJ, as well. Like, if, you, if you're a club that signs a World Cup star, like, you know, chances were back in the day that there was some cachet to that. It was like, look at what we're doing. It's a big boost. Everyone gets excited. Well, the way before social media, it was a way to attract yeah. a new audience because people would go and watch that team if you bring in a player from certain markets. Yeah, there was. I remember when Coventry signed Mustafa Hadji and Yusuf Chipo, and um, they very briefly signed a guy called Robert Yani, who was part of Croatia's 98 run to the semifinals. Never played. He had to, yeah. he was there for about six weeks and then got bounced out to Real Madrid. Um, but it was a kind of, yeah, it was a prestige move and it got people excited and it sold shirts and that time's kind of over. But it was um, it was kind of rational in a rational way, if that makes any sense Mustafa whatsoever. Hadji came to Pataudry to play the friendly He was a wonderful Coventry. player. Yeah, yeah, he was great. Did you ever tell my story about that? I don't think so. He was doing all warm-ups, they doing all like lovely tricks in the middle of the pitch. I have to change the words to this because it's a swear word, which I won't say because we're on live stream. But so it Can was you change the swear word to, to, that. to cabbage? Uh, yes, I'll tune it to cabbage, you. right? So, uh, this is. Or does after... it need to be a cabbaging? No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. The cabbage yeah. is good, right? So, this is after France 98, and Mustafa Hadji's one of the standouts at that, I think, and he goes to Coventry somehow. They were in the Premier League at the time, 
and they come to play Aberdeen used to get good teams to play them in pre-season friendlies. So in this pre-season friendly, everyone's very excited to see the star of the television everyone's been seeing. And Hadji's doing all these like cool tricks, putting on his head and doing all sorts of bits. And there's just two guys in front of me in the stand <laughs> in Pretoria, and they're going, Mustafa! 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 For ages, like ages and ages and ages. And eventually one of them says, Mustafa! And he looks up and goes, hey! And he wants like one's over. And he's the far side of the pitch, so he's like the opposite side diagonally from where they are. Comes all the way over, gets towards them. And just as he's about to hop over the fence to get to them, they go, Mustafa, cabbage off! <laughs> and then he stood like straddling a stand. <laughs> and he can't get off like, the thing. And then he has to like, wander oh. back. It was, it was very funny. Oh, Mustafa. It was very funny. Hey, the chat Mustafa. likes uh, Kudus from Ajax. Yeah, as, 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 yeah. yeah, it's a great shout. Like his, mm. his stock rose. Uh, whether that I mean, I, I almost don't trust it because he hasn't had a great season at Ajax. Um, they played him as a nine, haven't they? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure quite what to believe, but he was in, while Ghana was still in the tournament, he was absolutely unbelievable on the ball. Remind me of a kind of a more attacking Moussa Dembele. I think I saw a quote from Jordi Cruyff speaking to him, saying that Barca were, were aware of him. Really? Just, yeah. I mean, everyone's aware of everyone. I, I think the thing that <laughs> bumps things in these sorts of tournaments is that everyone starts panicking because everyone thinks that all these clubs think no one else has seen what we've seen yeah. and they really have. And so what's going to happen is they're going to be like, oh, everyone knows about this mm. player now, so we need to move quicker. So I, I definitely think there's that aspect of it. I, that I don't must think... be horrible. If I often think like if you work in a, a scouting department, but you aren't in charge, obviously, of like making the final decision, you love a player that you know is within the team's budget, for example, and you know would, you know, at least you have a very good uh, idea would perform really well. But the, but the club, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't quite moving quick enough on it. And you know that other clubs are also yeah. looking. It must be so frustrating to be in that position without having any control. Yeah, it's competing interest. This is what, this is what makes the, the transfer market so difficult because it's not just your scouting department who need to like a player. It's your recruitment department, usually the data and analysts who will be looking at them as well. And they'll have to agree. And then you'll have the manager who may not want that player mm. and they'll have to agree and then there'll be the board of directors and they'll have to agree and there'll be the owner and they have to agree yeah. so and you know me i hate agreeing yeah exactly if we were trying to buy a player as a group oh, just wouldn't ever be happen. awful that's how we ended up buying you <laughs> i came across this situation a few weeks ago when i went to, to leverkusen and spoke to uh, simon rolfers about um piero hankapi the ecuadorian center-back because he um they'd been watching him and he played in the copper america and he was absolutely brilliant to the point where Leverkusen um, had said, we need to sign him now or we'll never get the opportunity to do it ever again. To the point where they didn't actually get to meet him in person before they did the deal, apparently. Um, so you kind of have, like the World Cup, instead of informing decisions, like often it seems to disrupt them for a lot of teams. Yeah. Maybe not like Manchester City and PSG and, and sides like that, but for teams who rely on their recruitment and rely on being a little bit smarter than everybody else, mm. it's a huge spanner in the works. If a player is too good, it's a problem. Yeah. Okay, very interesting conversation. Thank you all. Uh, now, listen, let's play Points Are Bad, um, and we'll come back to you, JJ, to hear what you think about the final. But before we get to the final, there is, of course, the third place playoff. And that's great, because some of us here do need an extra game to try to get back into that game. And that's because, of course, today, I can tell you, John McKenzie actually won the day with a perfect score, a guess of 2-0 to France. Congratulations, John McKenzie. Followed up by Seb Stafford-Bloor with just the two. JJ, you and I have got three and you've got, you know, joint worst for the second consecutive day. I know you're not trying or anything. 
but oh, I have been recently. I'm wondering if you are you trying to lose because no. it is no, you're not. Okay, fine. Well, there we go. Now I'll come back to the grand scores shortly. Zero points for John McKenzie. Super impressive. Very impressive because he knows points are bad. He knows. And he eschewed all of those. He points. got rid of those points. Now listen, <laughs> that means John McKenzie. We come to you last, not only for the third place playoff, but also for the final. Okay. Now that does put JJ Bull in a, a bit of a better position. Because I'm going to let him go first now. But what are the scores? How many points do I need to make up to win? Okay, I guess to be fair, given that this is the last time, the, let's do grand yeah. totals first. You're absolutely right because you need you. This is true, actually. Seb needs to go first. Yeah. We need to reverse it in okay. a sense, okay. in order that Otherwise he doesn't I can cheat. Just cheat. He could Otherwise cheat. I can yeah. cheat. Yeah, that's okay. correct. All right. Okay, so I'll tell you that I. It doesn't matter, but I have 149 <laughs> points and I'm last. <laughs> In joint second place is John and JJ with 137 points. So you're not just competing with Seb, JJ. You're competing with John McKenzie. And Seb Stafford-Bloor is all the way out in front with 132. He's five points ahead. So he's going to play it safe for these two games. We know that for sure. We know that for damn sure. (laughs) But, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the runners-up game. We'll find out. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor, we're going to ask you to go first for both of these games, okay? okay. And let's let you go first uh, twice in order so that the, the, the boys here know how many points they need to be set apart from you in order to make up potentially that difference. So Croatia versus Morocco first, please. I will say Croatia 2, Morocco 0. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. And France-Argentina, please, for the final. I will say... France 2, Argentina 1. Okay, so those are his scores. Now, you both know that you're both five points behind Seb. So you need to be at least three a set from him, aside from him in one game, and three aside from him in another game. Now, I'll remind you as we go through. JJ Bull, you'll go first here. 2-0 was Seb's prediction for Croatia-Morocco. So you need to be minimum three, three away. From his prediction, what do you want to go for? Uh, I th- no, because I uh, I think I can get it off of the final, so oh, it has to go my way. This okay, I'm gonna say two 0 to Morocco. Okay, right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's four swing. swing, so that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's bold. So I'm gonna do and then the final <laughs> is either one nil or nil nil. Oh, what is it? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll go to John for uh, Croatia-Morocco first and then we'll come back. Catch Seb. What are you going to say for uh, for uh, Croatia-Morocco? <sighs> come on, guys, come on now, come on. Think. Well, I've, I've got my score. Okay, what's your final score, JJ? The final is nil-nil. You think nil-nil? Yeah. So that puts you... All in all, seven away from seven points away from the predictions of Seth Stafford Law. If things go perfectly for you, you could still win. Now, John McKenzie, we need something similar from you, dear. I will say Croatia Morocco. Now, a reminder that Seb went for two nil Croatia. Two nil both ways, right? His, he went for two nil Croatia, and then he went. Uh, we've got two nil Morocco from JJ. I'll go two one. Croatia, I wouldn't do that because then you'll only be one point away from Seb. 
I mean, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? Okay, here, here's an option for you. Now that JJ's gone, what you could do is cling fairly neatly to Seb. Left? And uh, you could finish second if he messes up. He's gone for bold predictions yeah, to try to true, win, yeah, but I mean, this really I, was a I'm only in it to, to beat JJ. Okay, right. in which case, do you want to say 2 um, 1 Mar- 2 1 Croatia? Uh, 2 1 Croatia, okay. And France, Argentina? I think Argentina 2. You think 2 to Argentina, okay? No, 1. 1 0 to Argentina. 1 0 to Argentina. Oh, that's fairly, you know, theoretically, you could still join first, I think, with that. But um, it does seem like you want second place. Now, it's interesting that all the different narratives playing out. I want to win it. You want to win it outright. Yeah. He just wants to beat you now. And me. A pair of five nails. I, well, this is five the thing. England. I am 15, <laughs> 17 points behind. So I need you to have, be really You have far. to go bold now. So listen, I think Croatia-Morocco is probably going to be something like sixth. Two, and I think France. I actually think France are going to. Win. I do think France are going to win the game. To be serious for a moment, but I think they're going to win the game seven two. <laughs> that still doesn't catch you up, does it not? I don't think so. It's think not. It it's it's not. It's not bold behind. enough. It's, seventeen. It's not bold enough. Oh, uh, well, I, I meant seventeen two. <laughs> Imagine if it is though. Imagine if That'd it is. Incredible. To be fair, I think if it is 17-2, I'm not going to be the big story. Imagine if it's 17-2. They all go mad and they all get sent off. I can't say 17-2. If it's 17-2 I, I and then your no, other result you know goes the wrong way and you lose anyway. I want a respectable finish here. I, I think France are going to win that game 3-1. That's why I think. And Croatia-Morocco, I think it's a 2-2. It's got 2-2 written all over. Who cares? There we go. There we go. Okay, fine. Well, I guess that's the end of the show, isn't it? It's certainly the end of the other show. Because uh, they're making loads of noise outside, so you know it's great, isn't it? It's, great. Uh, it's really good. Yeah. I think what we should do on Sunday is finish like really early, ruin did, the show, finish at half an hour, and then go outside. <laughs> did you know the finals are three? Arguably, finishing after thirty minutes is probably not ruining our show. That's true. It? it might be improving People it dramatically. To, yeah. Yeah. The finals at three pm on Sunday. Did you yeah, know that both games are at three pm. I just assumed evening. Okay. No, no, it's quite nice, isn't it? That's good. You get to, so that, that's a good point. A couple of things to mention: there will be a live show on. Th- thursday which is tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. there will be a live show tomorrow it's at 7 p.m uh, gmt um i won't tell you anything more about it you won't see me but there probably will they say probably there probably will be a special guest joining uh, john and jj yeah no no steps up um but we'll be back on sunday uh, uh streaming immediately after the final so probably around five o'clock but whenever the game finishes we'll be here and uh, that's when we'll we'll say goodbye to you for the live streams for the time being Oh, <laughs> excuse me. That's a bit gassy. <laughs> Don't be that in the podcast. A bit gassy there. No, no, no I, 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 I away from the microphone. You know, people understand this is a real, real humans with real anatomies. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to get too many, as in it's you and me, it's our destiny. And it's too many. No, no, no. Like as in the line where it goes, um, it's too many. I know it's my destiny. Oh, I see. And but I never got a chance to do it. and I didn't just put it in. So I just wanted to let you know that I had. Give you an opportunity to do a quick Rooney. Not on command. Not on command. Okay. In which case, I will say. (laughs) Can we have the song? Everyone wants the song. Oh, the song. Oh, lots of requests for the techno version. Is that possible at last last minute notice? No. In which case, let's listen to Ban Summer's song, and then we'll have the techno one uh, for the final, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks.
Let's all li- now let's listen as we say Thanks goodbye. Thank you to John McKenzie. Thank you to JJ Ball the Buller. Thank you to Seb Seppel Law. Thanks to the production Thank suite. You, Thank you to editor Nathan. Um, uh, as I said, there's a show tomorrow, but we, we'll, I'll be back on Sunday and we will play out now to uh, Ban Summers, who we thank greatly for uh, Points Are Sad. Points are sad. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.